This week on the Jay Doherty Podcast, Trump's Independence Day celebration is going to be unique, to say the least. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to say a few words, and we're going to have planes going overhead, the best fighter jets in the world, and other planes, too. And we're going to have some tanks stationed outside. Additionally, the 2020 race continues. Candidates like Pete Buttigieg are racking up money, and candidates like John Hickenlooper are almost going broke. Also, the streaming business has diversified incredibly just within the past few months, but that comes at a cost for many Netflix and Hulu subscribers and the companies themselves. It's official. The folks at Dunder Mifflin are moving out. The beloved sitcom The Office is leaving Netflix. Finally, we'll talk about how all the controversy over the southern border, the 2020 race, and all the other newsworthy content that's made its way into the mainstream has affected the media's coverage. All of that and more on episode 88 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Uh, it is Thursday, July 4th, 2019. Independence Day for uh, all of us here in America. Tons of 4th of July celebrations happening locally, nationally, and the big national one, of course, planned by the man himself, President Donald J. Trump. A lot of criticism for that. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the 2020 race. Jake Tapper of CNN asked Pete Buttigieg a very interesting question this week, and I was witnessing alive. And then we'll also talk about uh, how that compares to Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper, and how their fundraising compares to their polling numbers. Uh, we'll also talk about, as I said, the streaming companies there. Basically, the cable companies are trying to diversify because people, less and less people, if you look at the statistics, are buying cable boxes, so they want to keep up with everything and uh, create their own streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, which actually causes uh, a lot of anguish for the companies like Netflix and Hulu, the streaming services, so we'll talk about how that affects um, the streaming business as a whole. And we'll also talk about some interesting uh, happenings in the media world and uh, how particularly people on The View, specifically Joey Behar and Meghan McCain, I uh, they've kind of been fighting. And I don't really watch The View. I think it's a terrible program. I don't know why it's still on. But it's a very, very interesting thing that's happening. And we're going to have to talk about it because... It's fun to follow things in the media. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. I guess we'll start out with the big man himself, Donald J. Trump, hosting this uh, spectacular Independence Day parade that's uh, currently actually happening. It started at about 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, it's going to finish with uh, fireworks at about uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The whole thing will be televised, of course, by CNN, Fox News, and other cable companies. Uh, and it's it's very interesting the, the ways that are uh, that this is being approached. The the most interesting thing is actually something that we don't know. We don't know exactly the, we we don't know the exact price tag that's put on this parade. Um, people have been asking, uh, you know, reporters have been asking. There's not is not as of yet. There's not really a clear number. 
but he did say Trump, the man himself, actually planned this whole thing, or at least had a large part in planning it, because this has never happened before. A, a large parade to the likes of which Mr. Trump describes it has never happened before. He says, uh, Trump says that the parade will feature, quote, incredible flyovers, fireworks, and a speech from the president. He said uh, the, the title of this whole uh, shebang is Salute to America, and the U.S. military is expected to be the um, kind of the head, the headway in this whole thing. They're going to be the front and center, the, the, the showpiece in this whole thing. Um, and you would think, because the military is there, because of the 4th of July, the birth date of our country, um, that the military would be in patriotism, the ideology of patriotism in America would be at the forefront, but it's more of a political event, and even though Trump and others have claimed that it's not, I don't understand why you couldn't think that it is not, because, or why you could think that it is not, because um, it, it is, it's very clear. Uh, Trump is using this, in my opinion, as a political tool uh, to get reelected, which is it's not it's not a bad thing the bad thing that that's happening is this that they're using taxpayer money and then also the annoying thing is that he's not admitting that it that it's a political event i mean people vips from the r and i mean you know high ranking people in the rnc are getting vip tickets to this thing the whole thing is to celebrate his existence he planned the whole thing he's not using his money and I mean, Air, like Air Force One is going to fly over in this in this event, and so is Marine One, and he just wants to look up at that sky and say, "That's my plane." I mean, I don't think there's really any other purpose. It's not about America; it's about Donald Trump. This parade, from what we know about it so far, there's also going to be tanks there on the ground. Uh, there's going to be M1 Abrams tanks, and then also the VH-92 Marine One helicopter, which will be there. Um, so, there's a lot of military aircrafts that are going to be uh, present. Th aircrafts that are not going to be present, actually people who are not aircrafts, are the uh, Washington, D.C. National Guard. They've been all called to help with traffic control and security. And there's a lot of money that goes into this. Now, there was a lot of uh, speculation as to what this would cost. The Washington Post said that it would cost about $2.5 million from the National Park Service, and they would have those fees, that amount of money would have to be diverted over uh, to Trump to cover the costs. They would have to be diverted from the National Park Service. Uh, and that's the number that, that seems to be... Um, kind of thrown around here, $2.5 million. Um, but according to Business Insiders, uh, the funds were um, co directly, you know, the, the, the funds are not just coming from the, uh, the National Park Service. This whole deal is put on by not only the National Park Service, but the Department of, the, of Defense, the Pentagon, and uh, all these other spectacular government institutions. So, it's it's not just the National Park Service. I would say that it would be under $10 million, above $2 million. That's my guess. We don't know the price. We probably will end up knowing after the whole thing has happened. Um, it's certainly a, it, it's a very interesting thing that's happening. I think it's unnecessary, but it's cool. I mean, you get to see all these uh, crazy planes fly over, which I would understand how it's cool, but, you know... 
I don't know. I don't know if it's worth the millions of dollars and the amount of time that he's put in spending it, especially when it's a political event. It's not a. Um, it's not at all a patriotic event, uh, and I think that's become blatantly obvious for many people. Uh, but there's uh, like Marine MV-22 Ospreys and then, of course, the new VH-92 Marine 1 aircraft. Those are cool planes. And there's also going to be the Blue Angels, of course. And I think you, you, you'll you be able to see planes and see vehicles that you don't normally see. So I understand what the the purpose behind it is. But it's pretty expensive uh, to buy to fly a B-2 and an F-22. uh it's a lot of money just to buy fly a B2 alone per hour is over $120,000 and to uh fly an F22 fighter jet which is basically the standard fighter jet that the United States use uh uses is about $65,000 therefore says though that all of these uh flyovers are conducted at no additional cost to the taxpayer as they are accomplished using the pre-planned and paid training hours allocated to the units and I believe that. Uh, uh, I don't think it costs more for them to train. I think the hauling, the transportation back and forth, that's incredibly expensive. You know, these tanks, these things, these wonderful tanks that Trump wants to have stationed, cost, uh, they're about 70,000 pounds. Uh, and an average car is about 2,000 pounds. An average semi-truck loaded to the max is about 40,000 pounds. So to add another 30,000 pounds to be to what would be a semi-truck is a pretty darn heavy vehicle, and they're concerned as to uh, the if these roads will be able to support the tanks. Uh, that's their big concern. So, I mean, that's kind of amusing, in my opinion, that they're that that's their biggest concern, and that's I mean, Trump basically insisted that tanks would be present, um, and he said that in those remarks that I that were in the intro, uh, he said that in the Oval Office. I th- I don't think the tanks will be moving, as you see in uh, countries like North Korea and uh, Russia, where they do the communist military parades, but it will be more of a station thing where you can go up there and look at the tanks, but they're all fully functional, they're not like retired or anything, and uh, it's going to be really interesting. The thing that really makes this a political event, besides the fact that uh, Republicans are getting VIP seats, is that Trump is going to be speaking at it. That really, that's the thing I think that sets people off, because he does not need to be speaking at a an event that's supposed to be celebrating the, uh, you know, celebrating 1776. There's never been any, uh, at least any uh, planned celebration to the extent that Trump is going to, in which the president speaks. I understand you have to be present for, you know, a great celebration in your country, but I've been listening to a lot of critics, a lot of... Uh, people on other podcasts saying, you know, that's the thing that really makes me mad. Why is Trump speaking at this basically, uh, you know, military show for the 4th of July? I think he could be there in observance, but I think speaking at it and probably most likely mentioning something, even if it's not direct, he'll mention something about the next four years. And uh, wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Very, very interesting times here. We'll also take a look uh, here. 
look at take a look at some other uh, reactions to this. So, um, basically, the the general consensus from former White House employees they've criticized this whole thing for how much it's going to cost. Now, it's let's just say two point five million dollars is the National Park Service budget. That's what's being allocated to it for this Salute to America event. So that's from that's from the National Park Service. Now we're going to not give it the benefit of the doubt. We're just going to say, let's just say it costs $8 million for the whole thing after the Pentagon, after the Department of Defense, after all these other uh, uh, institutions within the government pay for that. Now, that's a pretty, especially $2.5 million and even $8 million, That's a, it's a lot of money, but it's still a small number for a federal budget. I mean, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars are allocated in these federal budgets. So to give Trump the benefit of the doubt, it is not $92 million like the original military parade he had planned for before. This is much cheaper, and Trump said that it'll be, um, that it'll be okay, that this will be fine. Uh, and perhaps the, I believe that, that the people in control of the National Park Service tend to lean more liberal. I don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, they want to have sustainable climate, sustainable uh, environments for their service. They also want to have a decent budget, so they have to fight and say, look, we don't support what this president stands for on climate change and environmental regulation, but we also want to keep our budget so we can do what we can to create and continue our work here at the Park Service. They do maintain over 400 parks and 60 rivers throughout the country, and in their 2020 budget request, with which Trump will inevitably have control over, they've asked for about $2.5 billion, just under that, for their budget, which is a much larger number than 2.5 or even 8 or even 10 or even 20. I don't think it'll cost $20 million. I think it'll be somewhere, as I said before, than the range of $2 million and uh, $10 million. That's my guess. So... Let's take a look here. We're about uh, just over 14 minutes into the episode. I want to move on here to some interesting news in the 2020 race. Pete Buttigieg, yes, the man himself, he is seeming to resonate with a lot of people. But according to Jake Tapper, it might just be the rich people. I don't know how uh, Mr. Tapper came to this conclusion. I would love to ask him if that would be possible. But he basically asked because... uh, Buttigieg has been raising so much money, more than all of the other candidates, um, including Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, and I'm saying Democratic candidates, not Trump. Uh, Buttigieg has raised $24.8 million just after weeks announcing his candidacy. By contrast, Donald Trump (laughs) raised almost $25 million in 24 hours after his candidacy. So... That shows the loyalty of Trump supporters uh, and the kind of disarray in the Democratic Party at at this moment, which is rightful. I don't think I, I, of course, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump again if I had the uh, if I was able to vote. But uh, it's a tough choice for these for these candidates here on the Democratic side. Joe Biden is a safety net. That's that's what he is. He's a safety net. He will be a classic Democrat. Pete Buttigieg is innovative, but a huge risk. A lot of people say, I just don't see him sitting at that desk in the Oval Office. And the polls say that the same way. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden continue to lead, 
those two also constantly quarreling with each other. And, of course, Kamala Harris started it, and I'm confident that she will end it. Joe Biden has raised $21.5 million, Bernie Sanders raised $18 million, and Pete Buttigieg, $24.8 It's a lot of money. But recent polls suggest otherwise because Biden is leading, Harris is second, Warren is third, Sanders is fourth, and Buttigieg is fifth. He is still in the top five, but he has the number one in the amount of money that he's raised. So, we'll see uh, what happens with this. Um, uh, You know, basically what Jake Tapper was trying to make the point of is that Pete Buttigieg could come off as the elite candidate because he is making all this money. Well, I, I, well, we'll listen to the sound here, but I don't think he's an elite candidate. I, th- I would argue that he is the opposite. He, he legitimately, like, he's the only politician that we've seen in a very long time who's had the closest thing to common sense that Washington has ever had. We'll talk about some evidence of that in just a second. Um... But here's Jake Tapper asking the question to Pete Buttigieg on his show, The Lead, on CNN. I want to ask you about your impressive uh, second quarter fundraising haul. You raised nearly $25 million uh, in the second quarter, surpassing Vice President Biden, who has been in politics longer than you've been alive. Um, But at the same time, the latest CNN poll shows uh, that after the first debate, uh, you're still at about 4 or 5%. You were at 4% last time, 5% uh, 5 last time, 4% now. and it's, it's pretty much the same number. But I guess the, it does prompt a question from a smart colleague of mine, which is, if you have raised so much money, but your support is still relatively shallow, you're still in the top five, but relatively shallow, does that mean that you are the candidate of the elite? Are you getting a lot of money from a lot of rich people, but not uh, broadening your appeal? No, one of the things we're proud of is uh, not just the fact that uh, we have uh, uh, been able to gather resources and uh, uh, at least so far leading the field in that this quarter, but that we've done it at every level and that grassroots fundraising has been a big part of that. Now, what we know is uh, for all of the success that we've had early on, there's still a great many Americans who uh, haven't heard of us or don't know much about in my campaign. So what it tells you, we've got uh, a lot of upside out there, but we've got to go introduce ourselves. The great news about this uh, fundraising total is it means we're going to have the resources to do it, to hire the organizers on the ground in the early states and to get our message out. Uh, There's going to be a lot of noise in the polls over the next few months, but uh, we're primarily concerned with the things that are under our control. And uh, the biggest of that is how we use these resources in order to uh, fortify our base and get known better and better. Uh, but uh, uh, if uh, my experience is anything to go by, then uh, each passing day we get more chances to uh, introduce people, spread our message, and uh, we'll see our support build and build all the way to next year when the voting begins. And uh, there we go. That's Pete Buttigieg uh, on the phone there with Jake Tapper on his show, The Lead on CNN. It was very interesting uh, to hear what he what his response would be, I, I would I would kind of I mean he keeps his cool all the time, uh, Pete Buttigieg in every debate response. I think he's the sharpest candidate on the stage without a doubt. I think he's the smartest. He is uh, by far the most informed, and he also speaks common sense. When they asked him, I mean there's there's a lot of stuff going on in his 
uh, town, especially with race relations and race issues, when the um, reporters, the anchors of the Democratic debate, asked him about a recent officer-involved shooting in which a black man was shot by a white police officer and there was no body cam footage to uh, export the evidence, they asked him, what's the deal? Why, why can't you, why, why isn't this happening? Why don't you have better race relations with the people in your country? The, your, your city's 26% black, and there's only 6% of police officers on your force that are black. So why don't you have this problem fixed? Your community of South Bend, Indiana, has recently been in uproar over an officer-involved shooting. The police force in South Bend is now 6% black in a city that is 26% black. Why has that not improved over your two terms as mayor? Because I couldn't get it done. My community is in anguish right now because of an officer-involved shooting, a black man, Eric Logan, killed by a white officer. So just the way he, he starts that, obviously it's very rehearsed. They knew he, was, he knew that they were going to ask him that question. But you've never, ever, at least I've never heard a police... I mean, excuse me, a politician ever say, I couldn't get it done. No excuses, just the facts. Mo many politicians, many people on that stage would be defensive. They'd say, well, you know, I've done this, that, and the other. But if you fill out one thing and that's the question, you answer the question. Someone actually just said, did a politician just admit he couldn't do something? Who is this unicorn? That's a text, 312-625-8492. If you want to uh, text in, share your opinions, or even call in, we'll play the voicemail on the next episode, even if you don't call in during the live show. I mean, he's he, he delivers these facts straight. And I think that's what we need in this country right now. Now, he's also a risk. He's much younger. He has uh, arguably or at least that's what people have been saying. He's only 37 years old. He has arguably less experience, but as the line goes, he has more executive experience than the vice pre uh, than the president, more um, more uh, executive experience than the vice president, more military experience than anyone who's walked in that office besides George H.W. Bush. But still, he's a risk for some. Joe Biden has existed for 10,000 years, and that's good and bad. It, it shows that he's been able to sustain himself for that long in his career in the Senate and also be a stable vice president, but it also leads people to act as if he is old. He's irrelevant. His time has passed. But is that the truth? I mean, Joe Biden is... The way, I mean, he, he's kept up, at least visually, very well. People have been saying that he looks too old, he's way too old, he's Sleepy Joe. I think he behaves old, I don't know if he looks old. Uh, that's what people keep saying, you know, oh, he just looks too old, you know, he's too old of a person. No, I, I think, I think he behaves, be, excuse me, he behaves old. I think he, one could make the solid argument that he behaves old, but... He's still pretty sharp. The one thing he does need to work on, and I think his campaign is realizing this, he always cuts himself off. It's very, very weird. He just says, he goes on, and he's about to say something, he says, anyway, my time's up. You know, he's done that in this debate. He's done it in public press interviews. 
But, uh, yeah. I think Pete Buttigieg, if, out of everyone running right now, I would support him out of everyone. Seriously. I, I think he is the most informed candidate. But, if he doesn't fix this mess in South Bend, that could cost him the election. He needs to fix it. There's a lot of bad things going on in his uh, small town. Well, not small town. It's, it, it's, it's not big, but it's not small. South Bend, Indiana. He's the mayor of that town, and he, he needs to get back and fix it. Uh, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. Oh, wow. She basically had one minute and 12 seconds of phenomenal content that she presented to our fine ears at this NBC debate, the first one. She was center stage in the first debate. And, you know, she's a close second, in my opinion. Uh, she actually seems really stable. She seems very down-to-earth. Uh, she's a little bit... Um, I, I don't know if I would exactly recommend her to be on the front lines during an emergency crisis. But... She... I, you know, I, I don't know if she's exactly... Uh, let's just say... In times of crisis, I'd rather probably have Pete Buttigieg representing me. But in times of, um, you know, national crisis, in terms of you know, in, uh, more natural disasters, I'd rather have Warren. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I feel like there's a little bit of impulsivity that I sense just from Warren's uh, personality, from the way she answers questions, the way she has kind of rehearsed answers. Although at the same time, if you, she's very witty. She understands the issues. So it's a hard choice to make. We can only decide really as time goes on and as these candidates continue to lay out their policies. One policy that's central to this campaign, besides climate change and others, is the economy. Uh, Trump claims that the stock market is going up and the economy is soaring. And the unemployment rate is low. And it is low. It's on an all-time low. But what is Elizabeth Warren's response? Why does Trump get to claim this when there seems to be a lot of um, anguish felt by the working class of America? So I think of it this way. Who is this economy really working for? It's doing great for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. It's doing great for giant drug companies. It's just not doing great for people who are trying to get a prescription filled. It's doing great for people who want to invest in private prisons, just not for the African-Americans and Latinx whose families are torn apart, whose lives are destroyed, and whose communities are ruined. It's doing great for giant oil companies that want to drill everywhere, just not for the rest of us who are watching climate change bear down upon us. When you've got a government, when you've got an economy that does great for those with money and isn't doing great for everyone else, that is corruption, pure and simple. We need to call it out, we need to attack it head on, and we need to make structural change in our government, in our economy, and in our country. And there's the big applause. That was the first thing that came out of the debate, and uh, it made a lot of people happy. That was a good opening speech. She got the first word in the whole debate, first sentence in the whole debate, and uh, she knew how to answer it. She got lucky there, in my opinion. They didn't throw her off with any incredibly complex questions, but perhaps that was good. Now, I talked about last week how I'm going to restructure the show in a little bit more of a dramatic way, and I do plan to do that, and I'm actually going to do that right now. 
what I'm going to continue and plan on doing in the in the future is to take uh, breaks for the live stream and get everything back and then edit it out in the podcast so the podcast listeners are not affected whatsoever. Because it's the 4th of July, I'm going to segue out with this music, but it'll be just like the normal podcast music uh, on every other day. But this is America. This is This is America by Childish Gambino. This is America. And that's what we're going to segue out with. We'll be right back on the Jade Podcast. It is 1.59, 2 o'clock almost, and we'll be back in about 5 minutes on the live stream. Podcast listeners, you just listen to this music. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the left. All right, yeah, that's a little bit too much, I think. That's Don McLean, Miss American Pie, or whatever the song is called. I just want to play some patriotic music, but I guess uh, this dated music is not the most uh, professional uh, and or the most relevant music whatsoever, so maybe we'll just play some uh, simple patriotic music there I have on the uh, board over here. Yes, I have a couple just default songs on the board. I have a bunch of songs that I normally play, you know, in and out of the podcast stuff that I use for the multi-track on the intro. And I also have uh, the American National Anthem. Which I'm sure we'll hear plenty of today in uh, Trump's 4th of July parade. But I don't want to be uh, sued by Francis Scott Key... uh, rise from the grade and write me a uh, subpoena. But what I do want to talk about is uh, John Hickenlooper. Politico put out a story, um, and they said his campaign is in shambles. So he's the former Colorado governor, and uh, he is failing in his presidential run. He raised just over a million dollars in the second quarter, um, and... That's about what he raised in the first 48 hours of his candidate uh, candidacy. He only has 13,000 donors, and he's likely to run out of money completely in a month. So, um, he's not giving up, though, which I uh, am very, very happy. Hickenlooper said, uh, quote, Thanks to this team, we crossed the finish line of last night's June fundraising sprint in great shape. That was an email to his supporters. When he was asked about uh, fundraising in an interview with MSNBC's Craig Melvin, Hickenlooper said, We certainly haven't raised $24 million, uh, which of course would be his competitor, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and also Bernie Sanders, but I'm not going to get it into, uh, get into it until we pull the numbers together. The bottom line for this small campaign like us is it's harder to raise money because we're not promoting free health care. Or, you know, to forgive free tuition for everyone. Forgive student debt. He's a, he's a pretty decent candidate, kind of an old school Democrat, which uh, would be useful these days. He just doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, creating traction with the voters. Now, he's kind of the outside outsiders, I would say the outsiders really would be Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, maybe Eric Swalwell, um, who else, I don't know, 
uh, yeah, you said Andrew Yang. Yeah, I mean those people would I would be I would consider the outsider. I think this guy's. Oh, I guess uh, you could say Wayne Massam. I don't even know if he'll be able to still run. He's the former Miami mayor, I believe. Those are really the outside outsiders, the people who weren't included in the debates. I think there's about 23, 24 candidates, and there's only 20 candidates featured in both of those debates. So I think if you're cut out from there, you're very unlikely to uh, make any traction, let alone win, in the final race. That's just my guess. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe you will. Got to move on, though, to some interesting news in the streaming world. I don't want to keep you too long. We're about 32 minutes in this show, but I want to talk about uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, Netflix, and Hulu next on the Jay Doherty Podcast. So, these companies, Netflix and Hulu, uh, kind of going out of business. No, that's a joke. Uh, they're they're uh, not doing too well, though. The Office, which is the number one rated show on Netflix, personal fan right here, is leaving in 2021. NBC is pulling it because they're starting a new Netflix of their own. It's going to be launched in 2020, and it's going to be about $10 a month. The office ran from nine, for nine seasons on NBC from 2005 to 2013. There's 201 episodes right now on Netflix that you will be able to stream until 2021. That is an incentive, though. It is not your taking away. It's NBC looks as it as an inse- looks at it as if it is an incentive for people to join their streaming service when it launches. Apple's doing the same, except they're not buying content. They're making it their own. They have Apple TV Plus, this new digital platform that no one's heard of yet because it's coming this fall. Um, I, you know, I did live coverage of the event where they announced, and uh, on their uh, spectacular marketing page, they say, Introducing Apple TV+, Plus, a new streaming service where the most creative minds in TV and film tell the kinds of stories only they can. Featuring original shows and movies across every genre, Apple TV+, Plus is coming this fall, exclusively on the Apple TV+. Plus. Or on the Apple TV app, sorry. But they have big, big names, Steven Spielberg, Steve Carell, Oprah... And uh, some other people I don't know of are going to be on there. And companies like NBC, Disney, especially Disney's actually kind of jumped the gun on this one. They're they're getting in it really, really early, which is a very smart idea. Uh, and other companies, they're doing all this stuff. They are making a good run for it. And I think this will end up being very successful. For the companies. And that's basically it. I I mean, it's basically, I'm just saying that all these ideas of streaming from the cable companies and cable companies become streaming companies and streaming companies becoming non-existent, it's coming to fruition. And that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. We'll see what happens uh, with this, but I think they have to come up with some sort of way to make this better um, and potentially ad-free. I know cables or you know huge cable providers like DirecTV and those those places are uh, trying to you know make you log into your account. Maybe that will be the future because not everyone can afford to pay ten dollars to every cable channel they want to watch. It's also kind of a waste of money. So we'll see what happens. The only good show, at least that I've found, except for Designated Survivor, maybe on Netflix, is The Office. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to cancel the Office subscription. 
talk about some media coverage. The View hosts, who I never thought I'd be saying that on this podcast, Joy Behar and Meghan McCain are clashing over the southern border. They got into such a heated argument that um, it caused the audience to kind of gasp, laugh a little bit. And then Whoopi Goldberg, the other host, uh, kind of came in there. And now there's being reports of Ms. McCain thinking about leaving The View. Megan McCain is the uh, daughter of the late Senator John McCain, the war hero. They're both Republicans. And it's a very liberal show. It's on a very liberal network with four liberal females and one conservative female. It uh, inevitably ends up in disaster. She's being paid about a million dollars a year, or at least reportedly. And uh, she says perhaps that the emotional consequences of being on that show are just too much for her to handle, so she might, just might, get out of this story of the view. Uh, I don't know if this will actually happen. Uh, Miss McCain and Miss Behar, and then Miss eventually Miss Goldberg, were in a fight about the southern border and the regulations, which was actually a decent argument that they were both making. I could understand where they were both coming from, uh, but got a little bit too heated uh, about two minutes and 56 seconds into that argument when they were fighting on ABC's The View. You are listening to when it comes to this. That being said, just one more thing. This is a hard line issue for people who live in border states. Many friends of mine, this is the number one and only issue. And if we sit here and act like there isn't a crisis, that it's just it's crazy people living in border states that think that there's a crisis at but like, a winning like I ticket just for said, Trump Like I just forward. said, this guy who's coming in wants to help those countries. That's mm-hmm. the way to solve the problem. Keep them there happy or whatever. Solvent. Give them a house. Give them food. Help them. Help their children. Give a Stop Nicaraguan the, cri- a, Stop a the house. crime rates. Well, we've had a I'm bunch of liberal guests who do not Hold want on. to send in aid I at all. I listen to you. Let me just mm-hmm. finish. <laughs> Yeah, part of your job is to listen to me. Whoa. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what, here's what happens. Here's this is Mrs. Goldberg now. We're not going to do this. Everybody gets a conversation piece. Everybody gets to say their piece. And we don't need to comment if we don't like what we're hearing. Just let folks talk. Yeah. So finish what you're saying. I forgot what it was now. Oh, yeah, of course you did, Ms. Bayer. You know, it's a very interesting show. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. I think it should have been canceled back in the day when Ms. O'Donnell was present on it. Uh, but CNN and others, The Hunt and so many other uh, news media publications are reporting that uh, she is thinking about leaving The View. Uh, of course, it's evident, that as it's been for a long time, even when Ms. McCain wasn't around, that the hosts of The View hate each other backstage. CNN says that uh, Miss McCain is, quote, feeling dejected and sabotaged by her colleagues at ABC and is seriously thinking about departing The View. One of the people who told CNN this, allegedly who is a friend of Miss McCain, uh, and who, like the others, spoke on the condition of the anonymity, they said that McCain doesn't think it's worth it anymore. So, who knows? Um, uh, you know, who knows? They've they've been on the uh, the existence here. They've been on on the uh, Miss Behar and Miss Goldberg. They've been around for a while, and Miss McCain is uh, the newest addition to that show, to my knowledge. I could be wrong. One of the newest additions. She's not been there for twenty years. But when uh, ABC was asked for a comment, they said, "Quote: The co-hosts and the View have had an incredible season, and we expect them all back for an epic year ahead." 
So, expect is the word choice that they used. So that doesn't mean that uh, the contracts have been signed, the I's have been dotted, and the T's have been crossed. What do you think about this? The number is 312-625-8492. We'll do listener feedback next episode. We're about uh, 40 minutes into the episode right now. I think this would be a decent time to end the show. And uh, I think it's an interesting thing. We'll talk about uh, this more in depth next episode. The number, 312-625-8492. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Say happy birthday to America, even though if I want to be really intellectual, America was... The Declaration of Independence was signed on the 2nd, and the stuff was printed and distributed on the 4th, so he, the printer man, and I can't think of his name right now, it's like Dunlop or something like that, could be wrong, something close to that, I know, uh, he printed all of them, dated it the July 4th, even though the document was signed on July 2nd, so if you really want to celebrate the birth of America, think about July 2nd. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Jay Doherty Podcast, July 4th, 2019. We're signing off here at about uh, 2.15 right now. If you want to learn more about the show, how we produce it, and get constant updates right in your inbox, j-doherty.com slash newsletter is the place to go. I'm wishing you, everyone, a happy day off from the place that you regularly congregate for work or school. And I'm hoping that you all have a spectacular day. Thanks for listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast.